Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Ian Parkinson. This is the Ruler Podcast, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. There's a bike race around France coming up soon. Promises to be quite interesting this year. I'm sure we'll talk about it soon. Before then, though, all over Europe, riders will be forgetting temporarily their team loyalties and fighting for another sought-after jersey, the stripes of the national champion. In the UK, the last weekend of June sees the men's and women's national road championships in and around Norwich. The time trials are decided around the Sandringham Estate the Thursday before. The national championships hold a special place in the cycling calendar. For many domestic riders, it's a rare chance to mix it with the stars of the Pro Tour and maybe even cause an upset. Matt Stevens took the title in 1998, riding for the short-lived Harrods Pro Team. Rouleur's managing editor Ian Cleverly caught up with him and fellow commentator Ned Bolting and found that more than 20 years on, Matt still remembers that race with affection. For the first time in any race... In my life, my entire family, apart from my wife, were there. So my nan, my dad, my mum, they both split up. Uh, my sister. My mum and my nan jumped over the cordon as I crossed the line and got wrestled to the ground by the cops. Um, so that's the kind of standout thing for me, apart from actually winning it. But in, in all seriousness, it was uh, the day was... We were supposed to be teed up for Chris Lillywhite, a teammate of mine at Harrods. That was the team that I was riding for in 1998. And um, although I'd come third the previous year, and I'd had a silver medal in the, in the amateur championships back in 1993, um, I kind of wanted to win it, but knew that it wasn't necessarily the course that would suit my attributes. I I'd needed a more of a nutritional sort of course. So the deal was with the team, we worked for Chris Lillywhite, and I was absolutely happy with that. I was very, cl- I was very close to Chris, and he'd helped me over in the season in, in other races. So that was the, that was the deal. It was about six of us in the squad. Look after Chris. But to cut a long story short, it was a very, very fast race. It was a kind of a sporting circuit. No real obstacles. A couple of gentle rises. Good road surface. A circuit just in, in and out of Knoll, just on the edge of Solihull. Just off the uh, M42, actually. Super fast. Uh, we missed a big move about halfway through the race that got a minute and a half, 25 riders, somehow none of us got in it and I was forced to chase with three or four of my teammates. Um, one of the only big teams to have missed, missed the splits. Chris was sitting on obviously, he was the protected rider. And there's a good 20, 25 minutes of effort to try and bring that back and that dug pretty deep into my reserves. Although I was feeling very, very strong. I'd, the week previous I'd been third in the Manx International um, so I knew the form was good. 
and I'd been training specifically for flatter courses, not climbs, to try and build up my strength, a lot of interval work, um, double sessions in the garage around my job at the time. I was sponsored by Harrods, but I was working at Marks and Spencer, so that was weird. <laughs> I used to ride to work in Harrods kit into the back of the warehouse to park my bike at Marks and Spencer's. It was bonkers, but they were cool with it. And Alpha, I don't think you're really new to be honest with you, or cared. Uh, but anyway, so we managed to bring this move back, and as happened, textbook and another couple of little moves went over the top, and the, the race was fragmenting but coming back together very, very quickly. And ultimately, I managed to go clear with Chris. Uh, we had uh, Chris White, had Chris Newton there as well, Rob Hales, Roger Hammond, Darren Barkley, a very solid kind of local rider. Um, I think one or two others, but the key players there were Newton, Hales, and Hammond, and they were dangerous. Um, so I had a word with Chris, and we only had about 30 seconds on the group behind, another five or six riders, but the race had splintered considerably. And Chris said to me, Matt, um, attack now, um, and get about 17 miles, 15, 16 miles ago. He said, go now. He said, just give me a bit of a rest because I'm, I'm pretty gassed and I need, I can't be working with this group. So I, I attacked a long way out, about 15 miles to go, relatively long way out, and um, got 15, 20 seconds and just held that all the way to the finish. It never went beyond 25 seconds. Mm. So I was looking behind, I could see on these long straights, uh, Halesy on the front chasing, and I knew how quick he was, but I just felt, felt very, very good. But I didn't believe that I could stay away until about two, three miles to go because the gap was coming down and going out again. But in, in the end, Roger Hammond jumped, jumped clear with Darren. I think uh, Halesy and Chris Newton had spent themselves. They couldn't bring me back. And um, went up the finish in, in Solihull. And my, my dad was... Uh, he was there about 300, 400 metres to go. And he kind of ran alongside... Yeah, it was special. It was really, really special. I kind of savoured every moment. But yeah, it was. It's amazing, you know. So as a rider, um, pulling on your kind of national champs jersey is, and then to, to ride it, you know, for the rest for the rest of your career, and also have a little tipping on your sleeve. It's just, it's it's very, very special. Because I was, I, I think I was, I've been a very, very good rider, but I was never kind of world class, and I never won a lot of big stuff. But to have have that jersey hanging up in the in the wardrobe, you know, in the context of who's won it subsequently and before, you know, Simpson, Wiggins, Cavendish, Thomas. It's to be to be on the trophy and to be on that kind of list of names of people that I admire uh, is is pretty special. So it was a it was a big big day, and it's actually and I've not really talked it through for quite a while, as you can probably tell. So it's thinking back, I I, I could spend. Half an hour, three quarters, and just talking you through the last fifty. I can remember almost every meter. Tom Southern tells a brilliant anecdote about Max Chiandri's one and only attempt at the British Nationals. I was there with Max, rooming with him. So yeah, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> well, I, I hope I got this right. So basically, you know, the race starts, the break goes. Max is poncing around at the back of the bunch, and you know, just eventually he sidles up to Tom and says, "So, so when do we start the chase?" Tom goes, "Well." is the British Nationals mate that's it it's gone like, race is over and he just throws his hand up and says I'm never coming back to this race again is, is, that, is that how you remember it something along those lines uh, he, he did try and get involved in a couple of skirmishes to go across but he was you know he was Max Gandry you know, you know, and we were riding there was there's only me and Max riding for the McCartney team this was this would have been 2000 and um, Max got away nobody would ride with him so he literally did throw all of his toys out of the pram 
uh, and I was rooming with him and I ended up getting away with Dave Miller, John Tanner and Johnny Clay and obviously I was fourth um, and John, John won, Dave, Dave was third but I went back to the room and, and Max was still like infuriated so how can I, you know, he said fucking British racing he said it's just so, it's so, it's crap, it's, I, I said Max it's not crap it's just different, mate. And you've just got to be a little bit more patient. And, you know, he said, where'd you come? I said, fourth. He said, oh, it's a good ride. I said, but, yeah, he said, don't, don't knock it. But, and I remember having this conversation, it, but, but it is so, so different. And all the British riders have come, like Cav and, come, and, and Co, who come back to race domestically. It's really hard because you've got to ride in the wind. And the guys aren't going to give the championships to you. If you, you know, you've... You're a full-time pro, you're coming back to race against a lot of semi-pros and a lot of amateur riders as well who do their best on limited resource. You can't expect them to give you the race and then make it very, very hard. And that's, the, that's this extra added ingredient what makes some of the smaller nations' national championships so fascinating to watch, uh, but, but difficult to ride. Ned, you've commentated on plenty of national championships and plenty of British racing as well as... The continental racing can you can you see that from from the from the commentary box that different style of racing and oh, completely it stands out in the in the, in the calendar as a uh, as a completely special weekend doesn't it it redefines what we understand of cycling and in many ways it crystallizes what a lot of cycling fans sort of pure hearts uh, yearn for which is the 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 you know the the kind of dismantling of the team structures the lack of race radio the lack of coordination and uh, control uh, and this uh, curious mixture of, of um, when Steve Cummings won it in what 2017 the British National Championships you know there he was he hadn't there was no team bus or car with him he just drove his white Nissan or whatever it was to the race over in the Isle of Man and there he was sort of like you know changing <laughs> changing out of his kit in the back to drive home to Liverpool you know and catch the ferry and so it's got that kind of romance, that allure that equates to, I think you're a football fan as well, Ian, that, you know, in, in the world of football to the third round of the FA Cup, isn't it? When, uh, when Manchester United have to, go to, have to go to a non-league town and kind of, you know, have the cold showers and all that sort of thing. It's, um, it taps into that same vibe. And it's, uh, it's completely baffling as well as a race <clears throat> because this sort of, you often get, you know, riders from World Tour teams who are the sole representative of their team there on that particular race and then you'll get a cluster of riders from the same team as Matt was recounting but the the allegiances and I'm sure there are plenty that will always remain hidden uh, some of them are talked about some of them are less obvious some of them are completely staring you in the face but until the race kind of happens you don't know what those are going to be it's a remarkable weekend's racing 52 basically 52 weeks a year there's some race going on somewhere on planet earth but the nationals weekend in Europe is special because it's just completely different from all the rest I yearn for some broadcaster or other to go to really invest in the, in the European Nationals weekend because it's the weekend before the Tour de France. So everyone's thinking in a way that they never think, you know, throughout the rest of the year about cycling. The, the sporting world is beginning to focus on it. And you've got these jerseys and this huge honour that's about to be kind of accorded. And most of the bigger nations now televise their nationals live. 
So if you had a studio somewhere in London where you could tie them all in together and basically they finish within a few hours of each other on the Sunday, mostly, um, you could have a kind of Soccer Saturday style program that dips in and out. Oh, let's go over to Slovakia now. I think something's happening there. Yeah, and yeah. you could have Charlie Nicholas watching, you know, the Slovakia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's Frank, Frank, Frank McClintoff? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's happening in Denmark? <laughs> well, unbelievable, Jeff. You know, you could have, but it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? And then I yeah. think I think we've got a result in Germany at the last. Yeah, yeah, join me at 400 meters to go. It's Greipel. You know, well, I think it'd be amazing. And then. Um, yeah, it's, it's special, and as Matt, you know, I thought it was wonderful the way you described that, you know, that the honour of wearing the jersey, and the way that endures with the little, whatever you call it, the little the little stripes of or color, whatever, yeah, 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 on the sleeves. So you've got your national champs yes, jersey with you here. Yeah, um, it's a bit stained, Matt. To be honest. Could, <laughs> could, could you explain what's what's happened well, there? Just to go back to Ned using the footballing analogy about the third round of the FA Cup, you know, and. Um, it, it does have that kind of feel, and, I, and I'll, I'll give you two examples. We could sit here all afternoon and, and, and give you others, which just add to the kind of, yeah, to the real you know, romantic side of, 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 of the British Championships in particular. And, and point one is, it was in the national championships that you've, actually, what year was it? It was 1999, I was defending champion. It was on the same circuit for three years. So I won in 98, and John Tanner, the Northern Powerhouse one for the next two years, 99 and 2000. But in 1999, I'd, I was riding for Harrods again. Um, I ended up finishing fourth, so still a solid ride. But we're doing laps, about a 15, 15 mile lap, right, again, going out into Knoll and back again. And um, after lap number one, Roger Hammond rode alongside me and said, Matt, he said, uh, we're just coming back into Solihull. He said, Matt, he said, um, I just got word that. He said, have you got your team car's keys? Because if you look over there, <laughs> that you haven't got a team car in this race. And I looked, and I could see my team manager and the mechanic going, Matt, Matt. I was like, oh, shit. I had the, I had the car keys in my pocket. So I literally slammed on the anchors and just threw them. And then, and then my team manager came out and grabbed the keys, and then they slotted back in behind. But that was part... We didn't have radios. Yeah. So it was somehow shouted... <clears throat> into the race convoy and then it permeated through to Rog who kind of came up and told me and I was blissfully unaware that I needed the, the car keys in my back pocket and I'd done you know 15 miles of the race <laughs> so, so again that's where would that that wouldn't happen in the age best on the age would Probably it not. you know so and the other and the other little point just to kind of you know you've got this remarkable genuine prestige about winning the jersey but then there's this kind of this kind of like cottage industry kind of element to it, this kind of home-baked thing. And it, I drove there on my own in, my, in, in the car. Mm. And I drove back on my I saw my, my family were there, and I drove back on my own. Most riders do, though, don't they? Yeah. The was, most it, most that, people make it. their own way But there. I was alone. It was, it was yeah. the most strangest feeling. i just achieved... It was the biggest moment of my career, but I was... I had this kind of weird kind of solitude. So I, I got in the car, and I had the jersey on, and I had the medal around my neck, driving down the M42... <laughs> back up the M6 to crew where I was living and um, and then we got up and I couldn't I just could not sleep I, I couldn't sleep and I, I wore it in bed then took it off that's why it's a bit crumpled there are tea stains on which I'll explain in a moment but I couldn't the adrenaline I, I honestly must have slept half an hour that Sunday night and I booked a week off and uh, me and my wife drove to Cornwall bike in the back went out of my dad and my dad 
had, had driven back separately and met me in Cornwall and went out on our bikes late in the afternoon in the jersey that I'd just been presented on the podium. There's none of this jerseys instantly kind of made within 24 hours. It was this was the jersey I got on the podium that I went out, put my inner tubes in the back pocket, pump, and sat and had a cup of tea somewhere with my dad in, in Cornwall. Got some tea down it, and I've never washed it. <laughs> so you've got these little tea stains on it. So. And then I, and I haven't even framed it. I'm, I am going to frame it. I need, mm-hmm. I need to frame it. It's just been folded up uh, in the bag, in a bag with loads of other jerseys. And um, and it's becoming easy, increasingly more important as I get older. Actually, it's, I, I kind of cherish it. But yeah, just just coming home just to my wife and like driving home away on that kind of solitude is quite odd. And you've got the um, the gold Harrods lettering. Yeah, like splashed across the front there. There's a story behind that as well, I believe. It's the same in the World Championships. When you win a national championships or, uh, or the World Championships, you, because you're running for your country, you can't have an official sponsor on it for the podium presentation. But Harrods and the team were so chuffed, they had these logos ready. They must have been, yeah, they must have thought we were in with a good chance, but I guess we were. Slapped it on the jersey, and I had the whole podium presentation with this and uh, with the, the gold logo one and we got fined about 500 quid and and what was the prize for winning nothing <laughs> actually no 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 there, there was a bunch of flowers and some cut crystal in the jersey oh, I think. and then and a medal for the first for the first three and then fourth to 20th was 25 quid so so that so that was it. it so, there was no... I mean, but it's so, kind of irrelevant. It's like, it would have been nice to have won a cup, but it's like, actually, you know, no. It, it was kind of... It, I don't know. It, was, it didn't matter. I was a British champion, and it was, it was great. You're listening to The Ruler Podcast, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. My name is Rupert Englander. Um, I'm a self-confessed mammal, and uh, I've been a member of Lacquer since probably about January last year. Funny enough, I literally had to make my first claim last week. I had an off on the way back from work. Nothing serious, thankfully. But I managed to sort of break the hub in my rear wheel and derailleur got bent and so on. I tore the saddle. And the guys at Lacquer have been astonishing. I mean, I literally, I submitted a claim, which is just you, you take a photo, a couple of photos and a, a video of what's happened. So this was after hours, obviously, I was commuting home. So I didn't expect to hear anything until at least the next day. I think it was about 20 minutes, actually, of the actual claim going in. Ordered a saddle that night. He's been working with a couple called Von Crank, who have actually got my bike now and are, uh, are actually fixing it up and will deliver it back to me in full working mode uh, tomorrow. It's a bit like having a mate. When you say, look, oh, something's happened and, uh, you know, I've broken the bike or whatever, and they go, right, do nothing, don't worry about it, I'll sort it for you. So um, I've been really impressed with the, um, the service I've received as a result of it. And you can find out more on the Lacquer website, laka.co.uk. Well, someone else who's worn the red, white and blue stripy jersey four times in her case is Lisa Brambani. Her daughter, Abby Mae Parkinson, currently rides for the Drops team. Lisa won four years in a row in the late 80s, but says she can't remember much about her victories. No, um, somebody just asked, just asked me about that as well. I can't really remember that much about them. I can remember the one where I got brought off, both me and Vicky Thomas ended up in a ditch with 100 metres to go um, and being pushed across the line with no chain on. But apart from that, no, I, I can't really remember them, but it's great to have one four in a row. Always a lot of pressure defending a, a national champion's title. Tell us about that incident with Vicky Thomas again then. Well, we'd, been, we'd got away, um, the, the, the two of us, and Vicky was a sprinter. 
Um, so she sat on me for about mm, 30 kilometres. And, you know, I was thinking, I'm not going to win this. She's a sprinter. I could sprint from a small group, so I knew I had little chance. Then she just made a huge mistake of just taking me into the gutter. She cut right across. Um, we both ended up in the edge of the pavement, on the floor. My whole club had gone down to watch me, so all I felt was this, these huge hands, which happens to be, turned out to be, ended up being my husband, pulled me out of this gutter and shoved me on my bike. I had no chain on. They just pushed me across the line first. Vicky was still floundering around on the floor. Um, is that even allowed? Well, this is what they said. It, no, it isn't allowed. However, they said had Vicky got across the line first, they would have relegated her to second anyway because it was quite obvious that she'd put me into the gutter. And there was no need to do it because she'd have probably beaten me anyway. Four national champions jerseys. Do you still have them? I've got two originals. Um, and then I've got found two others that I'd had made for me. I don't know what happened to the other two, but... Probably somewhere around, but I have looked, but I have got only two originals. And when you look at um, the sort of support that young cyclists get now, mm. especially if they're in the BC system, um, what was it like in, in your days? What was the difference? There was no support at all. There was no BC system as such. You know, you got on the, um, you'd call it the national squad. And they picked you for, say, two or three races Oh, if you were lucky, a year. Um, but there was no support. You know, we got a little bit of funding from Sports Aid Foundation, which is probably about £250 a year. Um, and that was it, really. No, so no support whatsoever. And what do you think of the, of the current system? Because obviously your daughter is... is yeah, racing, my daughter's in... Is, is a sack racer. Um, the current system, again, it's, it's much better than it was, but it still has serious flaws in it. If you're a road rider, women road rider, or men even, you're not really looked after the same way as the track riders. But I can understand that. Riding track, bringing home Olympic medals is a lot more guaranteed than a road medal. You know, you've got 150 riders lining up for one road medal where umpteen things can go wrong in a race, whereas in a track race you've got maybe 20 and there's not much goes wrong on the track, you know, so you more chance of winning a medal. That's where they put the money. It does seem a little bit, a lot of people have said, it does seem a little bit sort of all or nothing at the moment. If you're, you know, if you're on the yes. squad, then you do get really well supported, but there's, there's very little... I think it's changing. I really do think it's changing. Things that I hear through Abby now, and, um, you know, she's getting a little bit more feedback from the British um, team. And I think with the world's being in Yorkshire, I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think that British cycling are really gearing up to um, give our road team the best possible opportunity that they can have. You know, course recces, getting the team together like the Dutch do. You know, they get the teams together regularly. They go on training camps. That doesn't happen with Britain. You know, they pick the road team for the world's uh, six, eight girls that have not ridden together ever before, ever. You know, they've ridden the same races, but they're all on different teams. And then you expect them to come together to a world championships and gel as a team. It's difficult. You know, then you look at the world championships, you watch the Dutch team that have regular training camps together, and you can see that they work as a team. You know, they, they gel together. They know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I hope... 
that that's going to happen for the Yorkshire Worlds. You know, I can see things in the background going on, and that would be great to see. You know, the, the national road team working together before the race. Fabulous. Are you glad you rode when you did? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was easier to win races, I'd say. Definitely easier to win races. However, you know, you didn't have uh, the, the publicity that you get these days. There wasn't the money. You know, no one bar people in our village knew that I was a bike racer. Um, you know, you didn't have the social media. It's like I said to my husband, we went to the National Road, road Championships. I can walk around. Nobody would even know who I am. You know, I've got four national titles our national jerseys you know and I'm just Abby's mum you know but I quite like it that way because I'm not one for really blowing my own trumpet. Lisa Brambani. Mandy Jones never won the national road title although she did take the national pursuit title on the track and the 50k time trial championship but in 1982 she won the Rhodes World Championship when it was held around Goodwood in Sussex. I remember it was a nice day for one thing I remember being extremely... No, I wasn't nervous. I was just going to say extremely nervous because I do... I always did get very nervous before races. But because I'd made such a muck-up the week before at the track when all hopes were on me and I actually blew it completely. That was in the pursuit race, That was in the it? pursuit, yeah. And, uh, and basically what I'd done was, because I'd trained right up until the Wednesday, I was just... We know about tapering now. It was a bit... Mm, yeah, didn't realise what that meant. So, of course, ten days later when I actually rode the road race... I was flying, for one thing, and my nerves weren't as bad as normal. We got a really good start in the, we were on the front line, so that was all right. And, uh, and away the race goes, and right away it was, you know, people were trying to get away, and I think we did half a lap before people started trying to get away, and got away on the first lap with one of the Dutch girls, and then we got brought back, and then I eventually got away on the third lap with um, three other girls which was Cannings and Schumacher. Um, so a good group to go with. It was a good group to go Well, they we'd actually got caught on the climb, and I remember us getting caught and me being on the right-hand side of the climb as they were actually going away on the left-hand side. But my, I remember my legs were screaming and thinking, that is the move, I have to go with that move. And I literally crawled on the back and gritted my teeth and just sat on them while we crossed the line. And then it was... Uh, once got, got my breath back, I remember thinking, get your breath back, just sit there, relax, get on the back. And then when we went round, in fact, I got away on the downhill, which, because I'm a climber, I think people always expect you to try and attack on a climb. But once we'd done the flat section at the top and we turned right down uh, as it just started to descend, because I was at the front going round the corner and shot round the corner and just glanced back, realised they'd left a gap and I went. Because... You just have to take people unexpectedly in, in situations like that. And was that the point at which you thought, actually, I might be world champion? No, no, it doesn't even occur to you because it's a race and you're just thinking, I'm away and I have to stay away. I knew they were both good climbers, so if it came to a sprint and up the climb, who's to say one of them wouldn't have got past me? So, and because I'm a good time trialist and I was used to being able to ride on my own, didn't bother me, so I just literally got my head down and, and gritted my teeth and got going. But the scariest bit for me, really, was once we got out of the lanes, you go onto the most racing circuit, well, of course, it's wide open. They can see you. I can see them. So as I'm going around the most racing circuit, you do sort of three-quarters of a lap. I can see across my shoulder that they're behind me. Well, of course, if they can see you, it's like rabbit in the hair, you know, and tortoise in the hair, isn't it? That's not wrong analogy, that. But anyway, 
Um, and I'm thinking, oh, really, really, yes, yeah. that's, I just need to get off the circuit. Once I got off the circuit, it's a bit out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? You always hope. Um, and then you're on the last, the final bit uh, of the race, which just starts to drag up very gradually before the actual climb starts. And I do remember thinking, this road surface is awful and it's really heavy on your legs. <laughs> and am I going to be able to make it? And of course, you can't look over your shoulder because at the end of the day, it's the last lap. You know the line's only a mile away or something, and you've just got to get stuck in and just hope that you stay away. And, and it worked out for me. And you did, and you got the jersey and the medal. And what I was did. it like after that? Uh, absolutely fantastic, euphoric, uh, the best moment of my life, really. Um, and the culmination, as anybody who's won anything will know, that it's all the hard work that goes into it, all the disappointments, everything else that goes before it, all disappear when you cross the line and you've you know and and your legs don't hurt either which is really nice (laughs) all the pain goes away um but no it's an absolutely fantastic feeling yeah and you carried on riding didn't you after that you carried on racing I did I carried on because I always said I think because I trained so hard and I was only 20 at the end of the day and of course you think you're so grown up don't you at 20 but looking back on that I know really I was very inexperienced really uh, racing internationally um, it's surprising me think would I have done things differently and I always said I would stop after the world that was the aim everything culminated in winning that road race if I could so of course when then you win you go well obviously you can't you've got, you've got the jersey you've, you've got, got to, to wear ride. the jersey for a year you've got least. to wear it for a year so I did race the following year but the problem was I didn't train nearly enough and even then I mean I rode the world champs I still came fourth and I, and I really really kicked myself now because had I trained like I had previously, I think I could have won that race again. And I think, well, have I managed to come fourth when I've done half the training? I mean, some of it tails over, doesn't it? But you, and my chain came off at the bottom of the climb. That was the other one in 1984. And they had to get back on. So I had the strength to get back on. You know, had I been fitter, I might have had the strength to just go straight past them and, and get away again. So I do kick myself for that. So it's time to catch up with Ruler's Desire editor, Stuart Clapp. And uh, Stuart, there's a bit of a Nationals theme for the next photo shoot you're doing. There is, there is, there is, there is. I've got actually, the one, the next bag that you've got coming out is the one we did on with the... With the horses. Race horse simulator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you've heard about that. And then the next one we're shooting, it's not really the Nationals. It's more of a, a national theme. September's going to be pretty big in this country for cycling. I mean... I'm no Mystic Meg, but I think it's going to dominate some uh, headlines. We've got Tour of Britain coming up and the World Champs in Yorkshire. Um, and with that in mind, I thought I'd do like a very quintessentially British themed photo shoot for the issue that comes out then. So I'm building this shoot around this Brits themed, British themed thing. But we've got the best um, location ever for this shoot. Where is it? Biggin Hill. They let us near Spitfires. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited about it. Yeah, we're shooting it in a, in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm just putting, putting the last bits in place for it. And uh, it's going to be mental. I'm even growing a tash because I'm thinking, I don't think I'll be in it, but I'd like to be in the background. It'll be like those photo shoots that Tom Simpson used to do with a bowler hat and an umbrella and a cup of tea for the uh, French press. Do you know what? I hadn't thought about that. But yes, you're absolutely right. 
now you've put me on a train of thought, which, what props do I need besides the moustache? The model we've got for this one, uh, he's bringing, and this didn't qualify him for it. He's a good looking lad, but he's bringing with him a set of original World War II fighter pilot sunglasses. And they are amazing. Look forward to that. And in the meantime, you're reading uh, Paul Fornell's book. And Paul Fornell was, I think, probably one of my favourite guests on the Ruler podcast a year or so ago. So I went out after you you interviewed him and bought a copy of Onkatu Alone, right? Probably one of the most original cycling books I've read for forever. It's so good. And I, I've, we've, we've talked about this. I've actually got a, a – uh, it's quite nerdy, isn't it? And I think this shows me up as uh, um, as as a geek. But I've got a um, I've got a, quite a, quite a collection of um, of uh, cycling biographies. I think it's probably not as big as mine, actually. We, we can have a measure off. It's uh, yeah, I've, I've I've got quite a few, and I'm enjoying this need for the bike. It, to be honest, it wouldn't. It's going to appeal to the sort of cyclist that sort of. It's not pro cycling related at the moment. I'm about a third of the way through it. There's a bit in it because I live in Essex where it's very flat, but we've got a lot of good cyclists that come from Essex. And this kind of, considering it's one of the flattest counties, it's one of those things where you go, how is that even possible? Like James Jenkins, the young lad who's riding Richardson's Trek, doing really well in Belgium at the moment. Like he's the, the model in the shoot with a racehorse. But there's like lots of good riders locally and stuff. Um, Alex Dowsett's just up the road, obviously, is a good example. Why is it that there's such a flat county producing quite a lot of, you know, fairly decent cyclists, considering, you know, they, they haven't got a hill to climb up. But there's a bit in the book. You know when you flick through a book and you stop on a page? I stopped on this page and just opened it, and he's talking about how his relationship with the bike and how he's moved from the mountains, and he ends up moving to Paris. And he said in the mountains, he'd go out for an hour's ride which would essentially mean he would ride quite hard for half an hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes of the ride because it would be uphill, up a mountain, and he'd come down again and he wouldn't be pedalling. Then he was saying about the difference was that when he moved to Paris where it was flatter, there, was, there wasn't any freewheeling, so you had to pedal the whole time. And I was like, that's a really interesting point because when I go out riding around here, Although it's very windy and stuff, you, there, there isn't any freewheeling that goes on. If you freewheel, you stop. And it's Need for the Bike Pursuit books coming out in July. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed Onkatil alone as a result of listening to the podcast, because uh, it is, as you say, a really unusual book, isn't it, for a cycling book? It is. It's based around a false memory. I don't think that gives too much away, does it? Or does it? Anyway, but it's based around a, a false memory, because this reminds me... <laughs> Of my false memory. Growing up, right, I've told people that I was in a book about canals, right, when I was a little kid. And my mum and dad had the book, right? And I've grown up thinking that this kid in the book was me with a head through this through this bridge, right? So I went... And I'm afraid that there will have to leave Stuart with his childhood memories. And that's it from this podcast. We'll be back in July. Wonder what we'll have to talk about find out then like however 30 years i've been thinking that this kid in the book is me and now i've looked at it i've realized that it's not (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.